have a leadership crisis, our leaders are not rising to the cause. So how do we build the next generation of leaders? What skills do they need? The science, of course, everything has to be evidence-based, but how do we bring the leadership skills? Well, welcome everybody to The Sea Has Many Voices, and I am so excited to have my, my friend uh, and someone I really admire, Dr. Maga Goal Soler, I love her name. Every great thing that ever happened started with a conversation. That's one of the premises of our show. Mm-hmm. And uh, Marga, having you here uh, helping us talk about international conversations and the, the purity and the power of the science in the international conversation, I'd like to hear a little bit more about that. Please. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, what my, what is your what is the climate for you right now, in your in your specificity of your science in your community right now? How is that? Share that, please. Right. So I'm not a, sci- a, pra- a practi- practicing scientist anymore. Right. It's okay. You got a P- you got your chops. Yeah, yeah. You got a PhD, yeah. publications. The whole it's works, actually yeah. an advantage, I think, right now for this type of work because I can see a very holistic picture of all of the sciences that are needed to tackle this problem. Because I think one of the challenges we have is that traditionally scientists are very siloed and they are very, I mean, by the nature of sciences, you, you have to specialize. Yeah. And you can be a molecular biologist or you can be um, oceanographer or you can be uh, a health scientist or an astronomer. But it is harder and harder as you specialize to build these interdisciplinary collaborations that are actually needed for the real problem because the climate crisis is not going to be solved by the climate scientist alone or the oceanographer alone or the economist alone. It is a coalition that needs to be built. And a lot of those frameworks for building the, the, the coalition are actually in the multilateral system. And so I think science has been disconnected from the global politics for a very long time. And we have some success stories. The Antarctic Treaty was the yeah. first. I would say the first symbol of science diplomacy because it was, it was in the Cold War, as Greg mentioned, uh, where everything was against the odds of collaborating. Science could rise above that, that antagonism. By the way, have we talked about that treaty on our show? No. Can you explain? Because, I mean, yeah. for listeners, that is the type of stuff. It's a great, yeah, yeah, it's good. Yes. That, that really starts, listen, it's about progress, right? Exactly. And if we just talk about doom, and I'm not saying us, but if people yeah, just yeah. are only talking about doom and gloom, right. we are here, especially, the Sea Has Many Voices is about solutions, right? <laughs> right. It's about uplifting and giving solutions. So will you uh, talk a little bit of that, that treaty yeah. and sort Absolutely. of what it did? It's a very hopeful story. I think we yeah. need optimism, yeah, right? And so, so Antarctica, it, it was a continent that was, um, it was the last continent that had not been colonized. It was a continent that didn't have indigenous people, so nobody lived there uh, and nobody had been born there. There were no communities that came from the actual continent. And so in 1958, after exploration and, and of course, the, the, the conquest of Antarctica. By the way, a very masculine approach <laughs> to the white yeah, last I continent. I want to come back to the gender stuff, too. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. It's okay, a very, yeah. It, it has multiple <laughs> symbolisms, right? Multiple <laughs> layers of that. Um, and so after all the ex- exploration and, and, and conquer, after we, we had arrived in Antarctica, we planted our flags in the South Pole, then what do we do with it? So the scientists had this idea. In 1958 was the International Geophysical Year, and it was about using Antarctica for scientific collaboration to understand the climate and all of our, as a, to use it as a sentinel 
for um, how our, our world works. And so 12 countries, I think, was the, begin, the, the first uh, signatories. After this year of science collaboration, they found that it had worked so well. All countries had built uh, their research infrastructures. They shared uh, resources because it's very hard to go there. So you, if you have a ship, you take on your research vessel all of the scientists that are, it doesn't matter where they're from because that there's one piece of infrastructure, there's one lab, there's one boat. So you can't afford for every country to have their own little space. You have to work together. And so during this year, 1958, it was this experiment of let's do science research in Antarctica all together, all the nations. And after that year, they had built this infrastructure, these facilities, and they thought that is actually a very good model for governance because we get along well when we are down there because we're isolated. We don't have connection to the outside world and we realize how important it is to work together and to leave behind our differences. And in that differences, you could... Um, you could think of political differences, nationality, culture, religion, things that are very controversial for mm -hmm. many um, uh, aspects of international relations. But science was a language that they all shared. So they decided in 1959 to make that permanent, to say Antarctica is now going to be a continent that's governed by all of us. It is not going to belong to any country. We are not going to claim pieces of it uh, for our own exploitation. And every country will have, every country that signs on to this agreement will, can build their station, their base, they can have their boat and they, they can have their, their exploration, but they cannot have military operations, they cannot have nuclear tests, they cannot uh, exploit the resources. And that model of science-based governance is unique and it will never be repeated because there, there's no other part of the world that still remains preserved like Antarctica. And so this was 60 years ago. And in December, I'm going to be there when the anniversary happens. Wow. December 1st. And, and you're, you're, you're leading a group of women to Antarctica. Not leading. I'm participating. participating. It's collaborative leadership. Tell us about that trip. <laughs> Tell us about that trip. That's yes. Collaborative leadership. Collaborative wow. leadership. <laughs> what a term. <laughs> now, that's, that's where you get the positive influence of women and the gender. Because you know, I was going to say that. This is proof. I, it's I, actually I really, data back in that, right? It took me a while. Wow. I, I really, I, the, there really is a special quality that women bring to an endeavor, you know, beyond, it's not, not just IQ, it's not just, it's, it's a way of looking at the world, it's a way of, of, of behaving, and, um, and I really see the difference in, in, in the well, world women, now. Well, women, from an evolutionary standpoint, and I, I mean, women can bear life, so they have a completely different understanding of compassion and patience than men could ever have because women raise children uh, and they have throughout history, throughout nature. That's what gives life to a child. Obviously a father can help. Mm -hmm. um, but that understanding I've found not just in the scientific world, but in the film and television world, in the banking world and the real estate world, even in aspects of the fossil fuel industry, you're going to, you see a lot more um, women who are executives, high-level executives, CEOs, CMOs, um, CTOs. I mean, these are, these are high-level, highly-paid positions. Right. But as an overall um, understanding of humanity, women understand the world better. Thank you. It's built you, into their DNA. The, the reason is, I think, so there's a lot of stereotyping as well. So it's a little dangerous to... to talk about biological traits. I think 
it's more useful to, to put it in a, in a perspective of legacy. So women, are when they are involved in decisions, they tend to look for broader impacts. Like, how is this going to affect the entire community in the long term versus how is this going to affect right here, right now, for tomorrow, right? So right. This, this legacy mindset is um, and collaboration. So there's two, these two um, features of women's leadership is what really, I think, can change um, the state of the world because I think in the end what we have is a problem of leadership, a problem of short-sighted yeah. and uncollaborative wor- world. I mean, more... That's very true. Most world leaders that we're seeing um, pulling out of agreements and, 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 and kind of retreating from this multilateralism yeah. that brought us the Antarctic Treaty or other environmental landmark environmental agreements. So this idea of going to Antarctica with only women, of course, is a very simple... It's, it's, it's a symbol, right? It's a way to, to put us in the spotlight and to remember that women were for many years not allowed to set foot in Antarctica, that they were not allowed to research in Antarctica because, as Ian, you say, so the traits that women are supposed to, to, to be um, good at out can also be negative. So, right, for they're instance, emotional. They're, yes, are there and they were not strong enough to carry yeah. the equipment or they cannot stand the cold. Those were the, ser- the, the prejudices. You can push a child, you can push <laughs> exactly. something the size of a football out of something the size of a keyhole, but you can't pull, you can't lug like yeah. a piece of lab equipment so through some ice. I've, I've dived in Antarctica, you know, my research was involved diving into icebergs and under icebergs with a grandmother, okay? <laughs> it, was, it was Bill Hamner's wife, Dr. Bill Hamner's wife, Peggy Hamner. And I remember we were out diving one day and I said, you're a grandmother, aren't you? And she said, yep. And I said, that's fantastic. You know, what a model. And one of my, my expeditions down there to Ice Island, which we'll talk about one day on the, on the show, was to the largest iceberg that ever broke off from the Ross Sea. Mm-hmm. And that was the most challenging, dangerous diving I've ever done. And our dive safety officer was a woman. So the, the, dive, the lead diver on that team was a woman. But, um, but tell us, what. so where in Antarctica are you going? And, uh, and I'm, I think you're, you're in a fundraising campaign, too, yes. which will help you with terms of visibility through the show Thank uh, you. Uh, so what, I know Antarctica I love Antarctica <laughs> you know, I've been there a bunch of times what, yes. tell me yes I, so I, it's I'm a, drooling for the details it's a three wow week. I want to go to Antarctica <laughs> unfortunately it's woman only for this one hey look it's, it's better that <laughs> way Maybe I anyway. can, can I get the operation done fast more will get done <laughs> what if I wear a wig I think only the captain <laughs> is, is a man everybody else is not so but so this is a 10 year program it's an Australian NGO called Homeward Bound um, and they decided to give visibility to women scientists in Antarctica to prepare them and equip them with the leadership skills, not just the scientific skills, which all women have, because to, it's, a, it's a requirement to, to be in this program that you have some scientific background already. But what they want to give you is the next level leadership skills. As I say, we have a leadership crisis. Our leaders are not rising to the cause. So how do we build the next generation of leaders? What skills do they need? The science, of course, everything has to be evidence-based. But how do we bring the leadership skills? So it's a one-year program, 11 months a virtual program. So it's a leadership coaching training that we go through every month, a number of modules. And then it culminates in Antarctica for three weeks. So it's November um, 18 to December go to, 11. Go to the peninsula? Or? Yes. Okay. We depart from Ushuaia, Argentina. Yep. And we spend three weeks. It's not a research vessel because every yep. woman comes from a different background. It would be very hard to put together a research program yeah, okay. with yeah. people you know, from all kinds of background from 35 countries. Um, but we will do 
interviews, we will go to the bases and the stations to understand and give visibility to what's going on, how climate change happens, and what research is being done to, to, to understand it better. And I think it's a very, and you've been there, so you know, it's a very life-changing um, experience to witness something firsthand because when you come back then you cannot unsee it i feel like i'm that's going that's going to happen to me and and what Ian was saying oh we talk about climate change we, we just talk about it and now that you have a baby you understand you feel it so i think going to antarctica and and greg i would love to hear your your experience will make me feel it so then when oh, i yeah. come back i can't ignore it anymore I, can't, I just i just feel like i'm part of it and i have a responsibility yeah, no, Antarctica is, uh, when I'm often asked about my favorite places that I've dived, and Antarctica is right at the top of the list. Right. Uh, you can feel the pulse of the ocean when you're underwater there. The, there's so much going on, the phytoplankton, and then the ice, and the whales, and the, uh, it, it's, it's just magic. It's hard to put into words. It's also very challenging. You know, I, I, I was on, one of my trips was a three-month, real, pretty rough expeditionary trip, more like they used to do in the old days mm -hmm. it wasn't the best ship in the world and we you know we spent uh, uh two weeks traveling from new zealand to the ross sea almost got tipped over a couple times and uh that trip reminded me of a famous quote about antarctic exploration and they say the two high points of any antarctic exploration this was written back in the edwardian days the two high points are the first day you see the ice and the last day you see the ice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you, you can run the gamut. I, you, I think you're going to the peninsula. That's a really, really nice part. It's, uh, mm. it's got a lot, of, a lot of protection. Islands, you'll be able to get in out of the weather. You get a lot of research stations. Right. You'll see a lot of whales and birds and penguins. Wow. You, you're just going to have a great time. But, the, um, you know, we're on to something here. We're on to something here with uh, the, the need for leadership. Yep. And the instruments available in the world for leadership, uh, of, of which the Antarctic Treaty is, is a great model. Exactly. And, and then we're layering in the, uh, the, the, the women. As, and you guys really helped me with both of your contributions because I've been trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. You know, what, I know it's better and I know it works, but what is it exactly? And, I'll, I'll give you another example. Yeah. So you know the Paris Agreement, right? The success. Yeah. I think well, the, the I, Christine and I were there. Exactly, yeah. right? You it's were there too, weren't you? <laughs> no, I miss it. Only my um, my face. Okay, because <laughs> it was all of the UN ads. Okay, um, okay, but you. So you, you, I missed it. Uh, I had something. You've been to all the other ones. It was something. Yeah, I think yeah. it had to do with the child. Ian, Ian really puts, um, his, puts his time, and he's always but there. I, but I yeah. was regretfully not there. And so, in in achieving the Paris Agreement, the I would say the person that gets credited for it is the French uh, foreign minister who really spent a year going around the world and made the diplomatic priority of France to convince every country that when they will come to Paris, they will have to agree to the, the COP21, right? And so that's the, the figure, this, this um, French foreign minister is credited with achieving the Paris Agreement but if you remember, the executive secretary of the UNFCCC, Christiana Figueres, yeah. she was perhaps less visible in that role, but she was critical because she is the one that uh, was able to, behind the scenes, behind the doors, in the hallways, to really bring 195 countries together. Yeah. So that is the wow. collaborative leadership that she felt 
she had to to you know out of making this work right so science and collaboration is the two things that that the the the, the diplomatic success were based on and then she was an early uh, adopter for this homeward bound program so last year Christiana was on the boat so this program runs for 10 years I'm going to go now in November but it's an annual expedition and Christiana was on the um, December 2018 ship because she recognized that what the world needs more is more women leadership science-based international collaboration okay and so the United States is in a way um, withdrawing the leadership and and some people say the moral responsibility after being so at the forefront of so many of those international agreements and and pushing for for environmental action and and so you are Americans I'm not so well, we how, also, how, how do you feel about that well the other thing is too sorry to mean to interrupt you we That's just good. not only does the United States have a responsibility but but also too I think that people don't recognize that the United States uses and and uh, you know this better than me, so correct me yeah. if my figures are wrong, but yeah. the U.S. uses 25% of the world's oil, and we produce 2%. So right there, no matter what your political or religious mm-hmm. background or um, uh, whatever way you swing, that in and of itself, you possess not only a moral right, but a fiscal, environmental right responsibility to offset and mitigate your usage of what the world is using. So as an American who understands these figures and what they mean, I'm, you know, you have to also realize you're a scientist. You grew up, you know, on the East coast. I grew up in the most oil heavy state, I guess, other than Texas. I'm from Louisiana, Louisiana. but I'm from the Gulf coast of Louisiana. Um, And I want to say from Baton Rouge to New Orleans, which I think is maybe like an 80-mile piece of the Mississippi River, there are about 150 petrochemical plants along that river um, area. It's called Cancer Alley, actually. I mean, I know... um, Cancer Alley? Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Josh Tickell, the documentary filmmaker, Josh, the the veggie van guy, Fuel. um, I am... um, executive producing a movie with him right now um, on regenerative farming to all draw the whole movie is about drawdown um, and it's going to change the way people see this and that is really our way out Broad, yeah is yeah. drawing down the carbon um, there are some there's, the science is in it in there I mean you see it once you see it you go this is the way we get out of it but coming from an oil heavy state you see how many barrels of oil are produced a day in Louisiana, refined, you could say, versus what the usage of in one day this country uses. The numbers are astounding. Mm-hmm. And we as Americans have to look up from this. Um, and while we all do one thing... just looking at your phone for the people that are just listening. Right, you know, like, <laughs> we live like this now. You know, know. everything is this, this, yeah, this, this. Yeah. But we do need to look up and start having conversations in our households, in our communities, whether they're town halls, whether they're at private dinners, whatever they may be, um, and recognize that the future lies in the hands of not just voters, consumers. Mm -hmm. Wherever the consumer goes, the corporate world will go. Mm -hmm. Climate will change with it. Um, 
And for all of our listeners who, and at some point we'll do a whole other art, um, show, uh, episode about this in relation to oceans and what drawdown means. Meaning, I, I just made a note about that. Getting, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, we, we, there's some amazing people. I, I know them. I know them. Yeah, yeah. We They're gotta, amazing. But the reality of it yeah. is, is that what Greg and I were talking about when we first introduced the show um, many moons ago, which is we have to decarbonize our economy. That is a tall order, and that's going to take a while. And while we're going through that decarbonization of our economies, we do have to talk about, on the business side, the companies of the future. And I just presented an award last night to a sustainability officer of Adidas, Mm-hmm. was amazing at the um, ESPN Sports Humanitarian Awards, which is phenomenal. Good for you. And there's a company, you're going to want to talk to these guys, they're called Relay Parlay for the Oceans. They yeah. just closed, they just signed a deal with Adidas. And this is like a big company doing amazing things. I didn't realize, Adidas has 60,000 employees. Wow. It's huge. Yeah. They just signed an 11 mil, a, a deal with this company called Parlay for the Oceans who are extracting ocean plastic. Mm-hmm. Adidas signed a deal to produce 11 million pairs of shoes with their plastic. Wow, what a great idea. And that's just the first deal. I've heard about Parlay for the Ocean. That's it. That's the first deal. So you look at a company like Adidas, who really is making massive strides toward that. Yeah. Because they recognize, this woman, uh, her name is Nicole Vallebrecht. Let me make sure there's nothing to do with the baby. Um, Do you know what Parlay means? Parlay? Yeah. It's an old buccaneer pirate term. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a, if, if you're having a, um, it was a term if you were in battle, like if a pirate were fighting each other, they could call parlay, mm. which meant they had to stop fighting and talk. Wow. That's oh, a, wow. That's a wonderful. Well, there you go. Parlay for the ocean. Yeah. It's like there's, there's, so many, there's so many great terms from, from nautical. Gam is when two ships pull up alongside each other and talk. Often mm. in the old days, they'd be at sea for years at a time. They would, and if they saw another ship, they'd like be so hungry to talk yeah. to other people. And they'd have a gam, and they'd tie the two ships up and float around for a couple of days and get drunk and talk, you know, and then they'd break apart and go off, go off again. Um, and we're going to go off again right now, too, but we're going to come back, and I want to answer your question about the, you know, about the leadership in climate. And I also want to – you're really ticking some boxes about collaboration. So thank you, Margaret. We'll see you on the next segment. Thank, thank you, you so much, um, and – with right. just immense gratitude. Right. We love you. We love goodbye. you. Thanks, buddy. Bye, everyone. All right.